Welcome everybody to the Workers' Liberation Coalition podcast. My name's Colton and with me today are Joel and Ian. We're here to talk today about uh, our organization, what we're up to, uh, why we've made the organization, as well as a little bit about ourselves and kind of just explaining a bit of our uh, political background to an extent. Uh, we'll start maybe with Joel if you want to start introducing yourself and a little bit about yourself. How's it going? I'm, uh, my name's Joel. I, uh, I grew up in uh, Alberta, uh, Edmonton area, and I've uh, been, been here in BC my whole life since. Um, I was involved with a couple of organizations uh, trying to bring about some change and like get involved politically and stuff like that. Um, but I found there was a lot of issues, like, over the course of the last two years being involved with these organizations, there was uh, some communication and lack of organization and discipline, it seemed like, where there was all these great ideas and lots of talking, but there wasn't a lot of like, actual action and uh, movement taking place. Like, it felt like we weren't really doing anything. And so for me... Uh, coming into this and wanting to start this was a lot of wanting to do something that's actually going to bring about change. Workers have, in Canada and around the world, we've been getting the short stick for so freaking long now. And it's about time that we did something about it to you know, take back some power and uh, give ourselves a foot to stand on. That's why... Uh, I wanted to be a part of and help form the Workers' Liberation Coalition. Yeah, I, I think it's really evident that uh, the structures in place today don't fully represent uh, the working class or anybody but the rich and powerful whatsoever. Uh, Ian, did you maybe want to talk a bit about your experiences and uh, why you're here today? Yeah, sure, yeah. Um... But basically, like a lot of this, like I grew up uh, rural Alberta, west of Edmonton, got connections throughout the province. And similar thing, there's no uh, sign of real organization or concern for workers' issues um, or even a general willingness to look at uh, anything outside of, you know, your... Your your middle class and your corporate um, interests for uh, even with provincial politics, it's like uh, said so like you get the feeling that your the NDP is only focused on the concerns of those who have an address on White Ave sometimes, and and so as soon as I got the uh, the message saying like we're gonna be we're thinking of starting a new organization, you want in because I was thinking we gotta start something up, and hearing that the, we had. The, this opportunity to get in on the when it was starting up, I'm like, yeah. I mean, what's the worst if I don't like it? Then I'll just back out early. But here we are. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's been about uh, a little over two months that our organization has actually existed, and uh, we've done some a little bit of on the ground work, not too too much. We've done some organizing with a local organization called uh, Food Not Bombs, with some local food distribution and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the reason I'm here is kind of the same, is just trying to reach out to other organizations and seeing a lack of uh, organization and discipline. Uh, one organization actually took 
almost a full year to even respond to uh, my requests for information. Um, and then the ones that I did get involved in, it was a lot of uh, theoretical talk and wanting to sit around and read books and philosophy. And while that's great, that's not what I'm here to do. I want to see some actual material change. Um, Joel, maybe if you wanted to speak to a bit about what's the most important parts of the platform for you and what kind of change, like what's the biggest change you want to see in society moving forward? I think uh, one of the major things is we, as like people of this nation, we, we value democracy. We want to be able to have a say and see what, like see what we want to see in the world. We want to say in what happens and how we're affected. Decisions that are made that are going to affect us. We want to say in how those are going to take place and take shape. And I feel like living here we don't have any sort of real democracy we have a democracy for rich people and for corporations but those of us who are working our wage slaves are out you know like laboring all day uh we don't we don't have any real sort of representation or ability to have a say whether that be at the political level or in our workplaces either we've become alienated from what it is that we do we you know like there's not there's no connection between us and our work anymore we, we just go to show up at a job just so we can survive you know and we don't have any say in what happens or the decisions that affect us if we're gonna get cut or our jobs outsourced or anything like that we don't we don't have any say in those decisions those decisions are made regardless of what we think or how they're going to affect us and so i think one of the most important things that we want to strive for is democracy in politics but also democracy in our workplaces yeah i uh, i definitely fully agree with everything you said there joel um, 100%, I feel like a lot of bad decisions made in workplaces boil down to uh, poor management and just having that ability to uh, even uh, recall a manager or make those decisions kind of as a workplace collective could fix a lot of our issues. Ian, uh, maybe if you wanted to speak a bit to uh, what some of the most important parts for you on, on our platform as a rural Albertan. Well, obviously, as uh, Joel was saying, the uh, democracy is a uh, a big deal um as uh, point number three we're uh it's almost boiler point at this point every it's a, a stock thing about you know a but it is important to recognition of uh first nations land rights and indigenous land rights um except for someone with a more of an urban background they may not get this but there is a lot of solidarity with the farmers and the uh, First Nations in for uh, on or a lot of ground for it because uh, we're both being affected by your urban corporate elites the same way. It's just and real and there's but and a good start is recognizing about that uh, stolen land and you know we when we have to put uh, hands out for that but once i said with the uh you look at how the first nations have handled the 
outcome of all this, like the whole reconciliation for uh, residential schools, they, it's they've been more than than as a community have been quite uh, careful to avoid ret- uh, seeking retribution. All that's all a matter of look. We've all been screwed over by the same people. We need to work it together to find some common ground. Yeah, I definitely think um, a big issue is uh, the white savior complex that comes in. And a big part of our organization is to approach these kind of issues with that democracy in mind that uh, these decisions have to be made by Aboriginal leaders and Aboriginal leaders only. Uh, we can give them advice and knowledge, but when it comes down to it, we can't uh, declare what's best for people that uh, we're not a part of. And well, exactly. Our organization moving forward, I feel like, uh, as you mentioned, Ian, there's a lot of uh, uh, intersectionality between the fact uh, you have these giant oil corporations basically building wells and being able to leave them on farmers' property not paying them properly Mm -hmm. for having those wells there. And it doesn't matter because the provincial government will protect them much in the same way that the provincial government will protect any giant oil corporation putting a pipeline through indigenous land. So I really think, um, again, just more democracy. And what we understand is democracy here is the idea you can show up every four, four years and vote for somebody. And then hopefully that person is actually going to speak up and protect the interests that you hold dear where we can have a democracy with the technology we have today. Like if you think about it, almost every single person's phone has some sort of biometric verification, like a fingerprint scanner, a facial recognition camera. It would be easy enough, uh, especially in the, in, in the span of like a decade to have like a directly democratic system where you have basically Reddit threads and you, you can upvote and downvote on laws, and that can start to replace this representative democracy we have in place today. Um, and that's one of the most important issues for me as well. Um, one of the big issues for me is uh, education and seeing that uh, there's probably hundreds and hundreds of lost Beethovens and Picassos and great artists that, you know, fell to the wayside of uh, kind of this educational system that only promotes a certain set of skills and a certain way forward. And I feel like we need to change and make it more available to people so that anybody that has any inclination can actually start to become who they truly are. Um, Joel, maybe you can speak to a bit about what our organization is doing kind of in the meantime to get to move our goals forward uh i know one big thing is the study groups but we're also involved in some direct action as well i don't know if you wanted to speak to that to a degree well yeah like any movement that you want to have you want to have it firmly grounded in some sort of ideology some kind but i think we really want to be grounded in workers history and workers movements and how history has affected us as workers and what we can by examining that history we can actually figure out how to move forward and how to change things so that we're not we're no longer the bottom tier of society but instead we as a collective are able to 
you know, have say over how our future ends up. And uh, so that's why we put together like an educational program for any people that want to join and actually be members. And I think we're going to be over the next little bit here, we're going to be uh, trying to release more of a broader uh, educational course for available for like the public too. Um, and start doing some sort of like uh, schooling or something like that, because it's important that we know where we came from, because if we don't know where we came from or what our position in the world is and like, how important we are as like workers, if we don't understand the importance of that. We can't ever change anything. So I think it's really important to get that knowledge and get people well-versed on that kind of knowledge so that we can understand our place in the world and then move forward so we can reach our full potential. Um, One big thing, too, I uh, just wanted to interject there, Joel. I think uh, education is a big way to avoid uh, white supremacist movements and far-right movements that kind of rely on uh, generalizations and kind of these blanket statements that on the surface may seem very true, but if you have the tools and you have the ability to kind of investigate and analyze uh, what they're saying a little deeper, you can really get to the root of uh, the fact that they're just trying to uphold the existing power structures and they don't actually want fundamental change in our society where organizations like ourselves, we're looking for a fundamental change in society where we can actually see the average working man have a chance at life. Yeah, exactly. And their movements are bred out of, fear and fear comes from a place of like uh, like not knowing what it is it's coming like that's that's why you're afraid is because you don't know like you don't you can't grasp it once you've actually learned and like had that theory you can now put that fear behind you because you realize the source of the problem and there's nothing to be scared of that can give you the ability to be able to change things and actually fight for a way forward. Um, at the same time, like theory without practice is, is, is meaningless because if you don't apply your ideas and if you don't uh, actually go out into the world and do something, what's the point of knowing it? It's, it's useless. You're not actually doing anything. You don't know if it'll actually work or, if you can reach people or change anything, you're just sitting there being an armchair. I don't, I don't even know what you want to call it. You're, you're not doing anything. You're just, you're just like imagining doing something and you're just wasting all that potential. So I think it's really important to balance that knowledge with actual, like on the ground being involved getting to know your community and seeing how you can actually inspire change and be a part of them because without them our movement is meaningless like me as an individual as an individual worker i can't change anything on that but if i strive and work with other people that are also workers we could all throw a gear in or a wrench in the gears of society as we know it and bring about change that we want to see just it's a matter of standing up and you know unifying and holding that common ground 
And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to get on the ground and get involved with stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree with everything you just said there, Joel. Uh, Ian, maybe did you want to speak a bit to the, uh, the importance of rooting out these divisions in our society, and especially in the rural context where you see a lot of uh, conservatism uh, in those areas? Uh, yeah, well, as I said, with the your description of uh, what the far right do with the generalizations is fairly accurate. I would say your con- rural conservatism, a, a good route, a, a route for a lot of this is, unlike a lot of our centrist or our quote-unquote left or, uh, movements, is the conservatives at least acknowledge that there are rural people and that rural people have concerns, not that the conservative movement has done any, has done us any favors, but that if you're going to, if you, if your election is your choice of master, at least pick the master that acknowledges you exist. Seems, and that uh, seems to be a key mindset. Another uh, factor I would notice, gain where education comes is a big is important is a lot of people they're highly intelligent not necessarily well educated but highly intelligent and they know that you know your main your may quote your mainstream media is not representing them they know that um yeah that the liberal party does not represent them they and they don't trust the ndp uh, either federally or provincially because uh, the the uh, poor history there. So what's left? Well, they go with the conservatives. Why? Because conservatives are the are non-liberal. At the same time, though, I've also come across lots of people who said they would vote NDP, except the conservatives are the only ones who have a chance of keeping the liberals out. What fuels conservatism in rural Alberta isn't so much that they are in with the ideology. It's that they don't like the liberals and there's good reasons not to like the liberals and if you can just educate them on there's an alternative to the liberal education dynamic and we're not just talking about the ndp here you'll see uh people rethinking their worldview yeah 100 percent um bringing together the working class uh from all assets of society especially in rural society i feel like is just something that's been completely ignored by our political parties it's kind of like once mass urbanization happened throughout the 20s and 30s like you even saw the social credit party here in alberta shift a lot of their platform to the urbanized centers when they uh platformed on a a lot of rural issues uh for the first decade or two decades of their their existence um joel maybe did you want to speak to one of the things that we're actually doing uh, on the ground today, like perhaps one of the pamphlet programs we have going or one of the uh, mutual aid programs we have going and how, how we're actually trying to affect material change in the real world. Yeah, sure. Um, we, uh, I'm going to stick mostly to stuff that we're like currently doing or have finished up already, uh, just because there's a lot in the, that's kind of up in the air right now with this whole COVID pandemic kind of waiting to see when lockdowns are end, are going to end so we don't really know if we can get started with some of our projects um, 
but we like colton was saying we partnered with food not bombs uh, for two different initiatives uh first one was a uh food drive to buy a meal um through boyle streets uh community services in edmonton um we raised some money and uh we're just waiting on boyle street right now to get back to us uh, so we can give them the money for that um and secondly we partnered with them again and are in the middle of doing a clothing drive for the homeless population of edmonton um, we are collecting clothing and donations as well as uh, food not bombs is putting together some care packages that we're gonna put with them uh, but like essential stuff and we're going to be going and distributing those sometime within the next two, three weeks here, hopefully, as long as the restrictions allow. And, uh, yeah, uh, those two things that we've got going right now off the top of my head. It's I know definitely we uh, are all... everything we try to do is affected by COVID and the lockdowns and the restrictions. Um I know there was one initiative we yeah. were trying to do with some local organizations and uh, we had ran into some trouble with that. Uh, did you maybe just want to speak to some of the, uh, not the particulars, but just uh, the concept of that as well? Sure. Uh, so there was some racist attacks that took place uh, in Edmonton leading up to the lockdown. And so we wanted to stand up and say like, you know, this is not okay for any reason and so we went and partnered with a couple organizations and we were going to do a flower uh, give a hand out flowers and pamphlets and talk to people about what have been going on and stuff and then we were hoping to partner with them uh even further and set up some community self-defense initiatives and classes and stuff like that but again it's just a waiting game right now but our uh, flower campaign that we had planned to do, uh, we got contacted by the authorities and were told that if we had gone out and done it, uh, it would have been $100,000 fine against each organization involved and then $1,000 to anyone who showed up. So we unfortunately had to cancel that, which is kind of ridiculous because you see these anti-mask uh, rallies in the downtown area of Edmonton and Red Deer and Calgary and all across Canada, really, and the States. And you see these people go out week after week and there's no big issue, like nobody finds them or arrests them or anything like that. But then when we try to plan something that's, it was planned to be fully social distanced as well, we get threatened with hundred thousand dollar fines so it's just kind of it's it's been interesting trying to organize uh any kind of momentum right now with this whole covid stuff but we're still you know doing what we can as much as we can and trying to get to as many different groups as we can help people where they're at i definitely uh feel like there's a lot of uh a lot of anger and a lot of angst right now from pretty much every side of the political spectrum um, Ian, maybe did you want to speak a bit to uh, that double standard that's that's there for certain movements over other movements? Why 
why you may feel that there's certain movements like the anti-mass protests that uh, don't get slapped with these same types of fines that uh, our organization has been threatened with. Yeah, for sure there. Yeah, well, you definitely do see that, you know, the leftist groups trying to do direct action to help people definitely got were more cautious and more, more directly threatened. Meanwhile, you'll get, um, yeah, you'll get your, your anti-mask groups. They'll show, they'll show up and not a single fine. Uh, related to that, you see what happened, what's been happening in Washington, D.C. over the past year. BLM and other similar demonstrations surrounded by the cops that they're just ready to go in and crack some heads at a moment's notice. Meanwhile, you got your pro-Trump rally and the cops are opening the doors for them. And uh, you got to wonder, why is that? Well, the anti-mask groups are, are and your Trump groups, they're uh, fighting mostly for either concerns that the elites consider trivial or for the or they're actually fighting to preserve the old ways like what's your typical anti-mask uh, thing they want to go back to normal well normal for a good chunk of us was not good enough we yes the uh the pandemic has been rough on all of us but in a lot of ways the measures that had to be done to keep society running have improved the lives for a lot of people and again you don't see that in articles you hear all the articles about how working from home is too is rough. How having to having to educate your kid at home is rough. Meanwhile, you don't hear about all the families who, for whom having served has changed their lives, for whom have found out that the these uh, te- uh, being able to teach your kid is not as hard as they thought, and in fact, uh, they found out that their kid was not doing as well as they thought they were because the school always said they were fine, but then you see them actually doing. Now you're more directly involved. You're saying, "Hang on, my kid's not actually reading, to, learning to read, or learning math." But there's the school saying that they are, and this, and that seems to be uh, with the way the COVID's going. Yeah, we're seeing more and more now how look, we can do things different. We and different is not scary. Different can be better. I, yeah, I definitely think it's true that this pandemic has kind of brought forth all these uh, contradictions and all these problems within our society that existed long before the pandemic even happened. Um, Joel, maybe did you want to speak to a bit of uh, the potential this brings, you know, in the in the working class and our ability to uh, kind of bring these people together? Yeah, that's the thing. People are angry and they're deservedly angry. There's There's a lot of stuff going on and it doesn't matter like where you are in life right now generally most people are suffering you see foreclosures and like small businesses shutting down left right and center you're seeing these people lose their livelihoods what they've worked their entire lives for and it's gone in the blink of an eye because our government isn't supporting them like they said they were going to but meanwhile is giving billions of dollars to these massive corporations who then turn around and fire like thousands of workers and we're left here with even more people struggling and it's just like this constant vicious cycle and no matter what party has gotten into power it's just been more of the same more of playing into the corporate game and the workers are all getting screwed in the end 
Or you've got like uh, with this uh, vacation thing where they say you can't go see your grandma across the street. I think we lost Ian for a sec there. the joys of rural Alberta internet everybody um but i definitely think uh where ian was going with it it was just kind of talking about the double standard uh the the rules for the and not for we principle that uh especially here in alberta the ucp government has been pretty clear in exemplifying where they have mask mandates uh all across the province and then you see these provincial representatives in places without masks or not properly wearing their masks as well as I feel. Um, one big thing is when you can get people to wear masks, they don't want to wear them properly, which is again, just a result of kind of this discontentment that's been uh, growing throughout our system and this mistrust, the whole concept of uh, lie to me once, shame on you, lie to me twice, shame on me kind of deal. And uh, that's kind of what people are moving forward. They know the government has lied to them before and that's kind of uh, hurting any sort of uh, any sort of progress we're making in the pandemic. Yeah, and I think Ian was going off on uh, the point about like how the leaders were telling us that we couldn't go see our families for Christmas. But meanwhile, they're taking family holidays to Hawaii and not just one or two, but what was it like nine different MLAs all got caught yeah. in that? Am I too high there? And they're the one from Grand, uh, Grand Prairie's like, oh, it's a family tradition. Everyone that has does things like that, right? It's like, uh, no, most. And if you look up the average uh, income for her her riding, it's like most of your constituents could never afford that even once in their life. It's ridiculous. Did you maybe want to speak a bit more, Ian, to that uh, disconnect that that kind of creates between? Uh, our elected representatives and the working class people they're supposed to represent. Yeah, well, I said like they don't. The um, that's actually uh, Tommy Douglas had a great uh, anecdote that covers this nicely. Uh, Mouseland. Our politicians are cats, and we, the average uh, Canadian, are the mice, and. We are forced every four, few years to go and pick a new cat to be the leader. And while the cats are competent, the cats are, comp are of course, going. even the well-meaning cats are inevitably going to represent the concerns of cats. They are not going to represent the issue, the, what the, the concerns of mice, because they are cats. They are not mice. I think uh, that really kind of boils down to a lot of the issues in our society just kind of being that uh, that whole dichotomy where the ruling class and, and, you know, the political elites are completely different people from us, where these set of people think, you know, two or three hundred dollars. Oh, that's a cheap meal. Oh, you know, you can afford to live like a six hundred dollar check is enough to start a business like they're completely disconnected from, you know, the average working class. Um, Joel, maybe did you want to speak a bit to uh, how this can start to change over time, the, the power of, uh, you know, people sticking together? Yeah, like, 
the way history has unfolded, it's always in, unfolded in the favor of one particular group over the rest of us, uh, whether that be the monarchs and like feudal lords to now like this, this cohort of politicians and the corporations that they work for. It's, it's always been workers, the guys who drive society and history forward. We've been on kind of the bottom rung of society this entire time. And we're now coming to a point with and with well now with covid throwing a wrench in the entire global economy we have to change the way these things are and this is the first time in our history where we've come to a point that we can really actually move forward in a new direction where instead of having this one class leading the rest of us we can get rid of that idea and put the workers in power to make decisions for the rest of society because we are the workers we are the ones who drive society forward and we're going to make decisions that are in our interests that are going to help us and our families and our communities not fill some offshore bank account for some rich guy who owns a monopoly on half the country's fucking business and then is pushing all these small business owners out of work we could totally change the way that society as we know it operates so that it's for the first time in history in our advantage, you know, like back to this idea of like pre-communal society where everyone was treated fairly because they were a member of that society. We have the power and the capability to change things. And that's what we're, we're heading for. And instead of just, sitting back and waiting and hoping for it to happen we want to actually bring it about so that we can stop wars and division of people and that's what wlc is about you know we want to unite workers together so we can push back and change the course of history i uh i definitely think again their uh education comes into a huge part of it as well is when we analyze history and we analyze the results of a lot of these workers' struggles and why things happen the way they happen. It boils, a lot of it boils down to the existing power structures wanting and needing to stay in place and basically doing anything they can to perhaps placate the masses to the point that they can accept their menial existence where everything in our world today was, was invented. There was a point in time that this whole system, this whole way of being and this whole way of thinking, there was a point in time that that didn't exist, that in the early days of mankind, we formed together in small tribes just to survive. And we didn't have this sense of uh, immediate gratification. We didn't see this uh, immediate exchange that was required for every facet of life. And I feel like a lot of people are just angry because the the sense of humanity and and the sense of uh community has been almost completely robbed of society and that's why people tend to be idyllic about days past because there there was a point in time where there was a bit more of a communal uh sense you know of uh belonging and responsibility and that's kind of gone with the wayside 
as conditions have just gotten worse and worse and worse, where the system we exist under today depends on infinite consumption and infinitely growing consumption. And on a planet of finite resources, that really, really doesn't make sense. Um, and talking about all this and seeing and studying history uh, can make you particularly pessimistic and, and, you know, you can get down about a lot of this stuff. Ian, what, uh, what gives you hope going forward that we can actually change this and that we can actually do something to make lives better for not just Canadians, but, uh, you know, everybody on this planet? Well, uh, like I've been in, you look around the world, there, there is tons of potential here. Most people do want the right thing. They just don't know how to go about achieving it. Uh, just need, just takes that first step. Those first few people who come up with the, an idea and get it out there and you will spread it. Uh, actually, when this COVID started, I'm looking at it and look, and of course, with that, you know, the, the social media world was all looking at, you know, previous uh, pandemics, you know, because everybody's wanting to know, like, how did this happen in the past? How did we make it through it? But uh, one thing I was immediately thinking of was the aftermath of the Black Death, which obviously in the 21st century, we should be able to come through this way better than they did. We have more resources, more knowledge, more technology, we can do better than they did. But one outcome with that that is generally agreed on was that pandemic forced the uh, the, the seeds that ended feudalism and began the uh, modern world as we know it. Um, unfortunately, the main driving force for doing so was by killing enough of the working class that... Uh, their value as it had to be acknowledged because there just wasn't enough people to do all the jobs without, and they had more negotiating power. But we can achieve this. We can make our the point known that we actually do control the production, but with, but with hopefully without killing half the population first. I uh, I think that's a great point, Ian. Like uh, pandemics are a great point of change in society. Like you look uh, after China went through uh, the bird flu and the swine flu and Japan as well, it became a cultural norm to wear a face mask when you're feeling sick. And I feel like um, that's going to be one of the, the consequences of this pandemic. Uh, one of the very small consequences, but that's just an example of how like major events do fundamentally change people. Uh, Joel, going forward, do you think uh, this can fundamentally change for the better. Do you think there's potential for it to change for the worse? I think we're on a tipping point, really. We're facing so much uncertainty in the world and that it's we're going towards our own destruction or we're going to do something and change it. And I think that's like going back to what you asked in there about hope. I think that's why studying history of workers movements is really important because it can give us that hope that we can change things like main reason we wanted to do this podcast is because we felt that there's no real like education out there on workers movements in Canada or like resistance movements and 
we don't we don't ever hear about it we're not taught about these things in our schooling in our education our true history is denied to us and we really need to step in and fill that gap so people can actually get truth of our history so that can we can reach our potential in the future because like it's it's it, it, the way that history has unfolded you by examining that you can see what's going to happen in the future and what's going to take place and the next step of human evolution is inevitably going to a system of workers ownership versus just a handful of these rich assholes lording over us like even ronald reagan realized this he said i can't help but believe that in the future we will see in the united states and throughout the western world an increasing trend toward the next logical step employee ownership it is a path that benefits a free people that is that is how history is heading there's no other way about it it's it's gonna be that or full degradation into fascism and i think it can give us hope that we have the power and we have potential to change things you know that we can make a future where the workers are in power and i think one important one important thing to remember too is a lot of this comes uh, through a somewhat gradual change as people start to awaken to the fact that the system they're under isn't working that there has to be some alternative there has to be some other way um what do you think uh ian is the biggest factor in convincing these people that worker ownership and the workers banning together is the way and not fascism or nationalism or one of those ideologies well one way that we are trying to do it said before earlier with the COVID it's getting that's hard is direct action going out helping uh helping these people talking with these uh people um one there's uh like one story my mom talks about was how my guido got uh to involved with the ndp initially was um they had a new. They they bought an old CN rail bunkhouse and they ha- brought it over to the farm. And the guy who was helping getting it installed was he- heavy into into the NDP. And while he's helping them work, and he's just casually mentioned talking about uh, the new de- uh, Democratic Party, the history of them, and the CCF, and all that. And then that got and and talking to him like you know one on one, and all the while while helping out. Um, because I suspect this is probably true across most people, but certainly out in the country, one thing that makes a huge difference is um, whether or not you're trustworthy as an individual. They don't necessarily have to agree with your uh, worldview, but that if you prove that you're not that you are trustworthy, that you are helpful, that you aren't that you are you're willing to that you're a decent person that will listen and consider your views while as um otherwise they'll they'll shut it down and and the fascists can take advantage of the fact that people are are going are scared because change for the a lot of working people change has always led to conditions worsening the fascists go and say these guys are are talking about change change screwed you over Join us while as we go, well, no, we want change for the better. And but you have to kind of gain people's trust first. And I, 
I, I think there's a lot of importance in actually reaching out and getting on the same level as a lot of these people. Uh, what can get really discouraging is having these online arguments where you're sitting behind a screen and you're just shooting walls of text at one another. But when you can sit down and have an actual conversation and talk about the real material conditions of your life and make suggestions on, you know, how they can be improved, someone's a lot more willing in that context to accept alternative ideas. Ian, would you say it's a fair assessment of a rural politics that people tend to elect a person, not the ideas that person stands for? Yeah, that's not entirely uh, unfair because um, it's also uh, like uh, there's a lot of people who yearn for voting for the candidate versus the um, the party or the leadership of that party. Even like um, uh, if I wasn't uh, as knowledgeable on the different ideologies and the history. I might have been tempted to go and say, well, I'll vote conservative back in the, during the last, during the 2019 election. Why? Well, my brothers got stranded in the, in the field they were working at and them and their boss walked to the nearest house and just happened to be the conservative candidate. And he came over, gave their truck a boost and got them going again. That's the kind of thing that speaks a lot of volumes for a lot of people. He was actually... He's involved with the local community. He's willing to go and help people out and uh, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, but on a more broader term, and this is, I would say probably applies in more in general. It's like we all know that we're not we don't pick the premier directly and we don't pick the prime minister directly or most of us do. And when you point out, they go, yeah, I know that I remember school. But at the same time, when you ask them who are you voting for, they don't if they unless they know the candidates personally, it's always, Oh, I'm voting for Trudeau or I'm voting to get rid of Trudeau or I'm voting for or I'm voting to get rid of Rachel Notley. It's not a matter of I vote for the UCP, I don't like UCP policies, or I'm voting conservative or I'm voting liberal. It's uh the per uh, like you hear the people talking, they're talking about they don't talk they know not talking about the NDP is their history. And a lot of people who say they like Jack Layton, they're going, I don't know what to think about this Singh guy. He seems a lot like Layton, but at the same time, I don't, sure, I don't know what to think of him. But I don't know if I trust him. So I'm going to vote for the conservatives because they keep the liberals out. I and feel I, a lot of I feel like uh, a large part of that struggle as well is the, uh, unfortunately, the racial undertone in Canada and each Singh being, uh, being a Sikh and of uh, yeah. Indian descent, I feel like that causes some of a divide. And then you see more so in the urban centers where you have kind of the opposite. You have people more so that vote for the party and they vote for the ideas. Again, they're still voting for, per se, the leader of the party, but more so they're voting for the platform and platform-specific ideas. Uh, Joel, maybe did you want to speak a bit to uh, like how we plan to reconcile this ideal that... Uh, you have to elect a leader and that there's actually a little more to politics than just, you know, electing one leader. Well, I think that this idea of elect electing one sole person to represent you, it, it, it doesn't work. I think that's become blatantly obvious in our society. We have 
any selling out coal like our mountains to strip mine for coal right from under people's feet with no like we didn't get no say in that like where's where's our say and they might have put a hold on the one sale but they still have eight hundred thousand plus hectares available for development right now like where is our say in this why do we not get a say in how our province looks going for and like how our like the destruction of our mountains you know like thing that's on our very flag like i think uh it's very important that we we need to change things so that we as individuals get some say in the matter that it's not just you know one person's voice over the rest of us where we don't we don't get a say is it the only the only thing that gets any real say is money like whoever's got the most money that's that's the decisions that are going to be made and anything to rip us off and further so that they can enlarge their profit margins. So I really think that moving forward, we need to focus on having workers having the say and being involved in our communities and figuring out what to do from the ground up rather than the other way around. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it's kind of ironic that our democracy and most democracies in the West try to hold this slogan up of by the people and for the people, where that's become kind of a distant dream for most of us, where most of the politicians we elect aren't anything like like us as individuals, where in the rare exception of like Ian's example with the conservative constituent that actually does live in his writing, uh, we, we spoke earlier about how it's quite common for members of parliament not to even live in the riding that they're running for. And I think this is a, a big thing that kind of affects uh, people's mentality as well, is they start to give up and they start to think that there's there's no point in even being involved or being educated, that they just need to fight for their, for their regular, uh, you know, their day-to-day well-being. And uh, Ian, maybe if you wanted to speak a bit to uh, you know, reaching out to these types of people and kind of getting across, you know, that politics isn't just uh, politics. It affects a lot more than that. Yeah, well, uh, I say like another great example would be um, with my girlfriend's uh, family, um, classic uh, rural conservative type family in that um, they vote, cons- she voted conservative because her family always voted conservative and they knew that they don't like the Liberal Party, um, but they don't know the full history with the, that. Although, with certain misman the a lot of the current provincial government's mismanagement over COVID has got getting her worked up over that. Then she's got legitimate reasons to be mad, of course, just like we all do. But um, one thing is. Um, they are they've their way they're open more open to listening to different views from me than some total stranger because I've been involved in their lives for a number of years I've helped I've helped them pull uh work with their uh, help with their cows I've helped them I helped them move a, a house out of their yard they know they can trust me with the, to watch the house they can trust me to be left alone with their kids they can you know so my opinion is of more value than some random politician from the city who doesn't even know, who probably who Ray feel probably wouldn't even be able to find the head end of a cow if they had to. 
Yeah, 100%. Um, I definitely agree with everything uh, you said there, Ian. Um, I think it's kind of getting to the point that we should maybe wrap this whole affair up. We should maybe just finish off with a bit of what we're actually doing on the ground. While we are based in Alberta, there's a lot of initiatives that people outside of Alberta and other parts of Canada or even in America, there's a lot of things we want to do moving forward and that we, we initiatives we want to start. Joel, maybe could you speak a bit to that progress we're trying to make moving forward in the year of uh, 2021? Well, yeah, we're trying to uh, not only expand our base uh, like of support, but also to reach out and ally with organizations that are like similar minded and on the same kind of scale as we are, because we want to start a united front to bring about real change. You know, we, we can't do this alone. We need, we need you guys. We need the workers. We need the small business owners that are getting fucked over. We need, we need the people of Alberta and of Canada from all life to stand together on the fact that we're all workers here and we're all getting the short end of the stick and uh so in the next two months we're uh hoping to start two new chapters out in bc we're kind of in talks about doing that right now um we have a couple other members scattered across canada as well we're always looking to expand and get people on board with what we're doing and if they want to help out to get a hold of us um no, Sorry to interrupt. Uh, could I just, Ian? Could I just get you to mute your mic? Yeah, I was just saying that we've got a bunch more initiatives going on right now. Um, a lot of stuff is still up in the air. But if you want to get involved or hear about what we've got going on, we didn't really have a lot of time to go over it today. But if you want to know some more about what we got going on, uh, you can email us or check out check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that kind of stuff. Uh, Colton, if you want to take it back, yeah. Um, one big thing too, uh, we're trying to get uh, kind of released and finished within the next couple of weeks is we have some basic informational pamphlets, uh, basically something that we can just start to what I like to call distribute uh, Jehovah's Witness style, just unabashedly anywhere we can trying to get the people together and trying to get uh, people united in a sense and perhaps giving people some tools that they didn't have before and that perhaps even if you're in America or you're, you're in a diff completely different part of Canada, you can use these materials and you, you can start to gather like-minded people in your neighborhoods as well as a lot of these YouTube videos we're doing. I know going forward we have a podcast planned on uh, the Winnipeg general strike as well as uh, the Toronto uh, typographical strike the uh the nine hour movement i believe it was called going forward we want to help educate people because we kind of understand that it's not uh the easiest for everybody just to sit down and read uh a hundred pages worth of history that uh, there has to be kind of this push to help educate people that this has been done before there has been uh workers that have risen up but for X, Y, and Z reasons, you know, they've been crushed. But going forward in this new age, there is definitely potential there. Um, just to start, to kind of finish wrapping it up here, Ian, did you have maybe some final thoughts, uh, opinions you wanted to give? Um, well, we 
pretty much covered everything uh, uh, right at the moment. Like I said, this is um, this is basically covers why I moved with the, the why this group attracted me over other ones because we are thinking about um, these plans for moving forward. We are considering. We're not just focused on boutique uh, politics of uh, the middle class who think they are working poor but uh, uh, but also but in uh, in lifting everyone obviously our focus how far has been with Alberta because we're mostly based out of Alberta but our goal is uh, as I said global change not just Alberta Canada North America but the whole world so moving forward, uh, I see great potential that we might actually start making people's voices heard and getting some real change done. A hundred percent. And that all comes uh, when we start to stand together. And I definitely think we can do that. Um, but I think that is going to be all for today. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Ian, uh, for attending the podcast today. Thank you for anybody who has spent this long watching this podcast these will be uh, become more of a regular thing and we will release more as time goes on and as we have the ability to kind of organize uh, people to get together and speak about these subjects um, but yeah I think that's pretty much it Joel I don't know if you had any final thoughts you wanted to go over um, I was just gonna say we're gonna link all of our uh, social media and like websites and stuff down in the show description or somewhere you can see them and have access to them um just to not lose hope uh for anyone out there that's a worker that's listening to this that has, is feeling overwhelmed or like in a bad place especially with covid there's there's so many of us out there that have i feel like we've been abandoned by our government by our like our jobs have we've been fired or cut back or we're worried about losing them or whatever else on top of the mishandling of this pandemic and like how badly it's screwed everyone it's it's scary times and it can be really easy to give into pessimism and nihilism and just like to remain in fear and i think now more than ever it's important for us to all stand together and stand up and do something that can change so that we don't have to go back to before we don't want to return to normal we want we want a society that cares for our needs because we're the ones that run it we're the ones that build it why shouldn't it be looking out for us for the benefit of all of us that's what we want and so I just want to just say to keep hope for everybody out there that feels like it's depressing. This isn't the end. This is the start of something new. We can we can change things. You know, we don't have to let this awful system like keep controlling our lives. We can do something about it. We can stand up and change it. It just is a matter of standing up and not losing faith. Thank you for that, Joel. I think uh, definitely all of us kind of need a bit of a boost nowadays. And uh, while we may not re see results quite immediately, we uh, we just have to remember that uh, things do change and nothing is permanent, especially things that are man-made. That change will come in some way, shape, or form. We just have to consider what we want that change to be. 
But anyways, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, this has been the Workers' Liberation Coalition podcast, our first episode. And uh, hopefully you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thank you.